so today for our sermon, uh, we're going to be starting a new series, thinking of Easter coming up pretty soon, not too many weeks away. I figured let's do a series that really focuses, of course, on Jesus himself. Uh, And specifically, what we're going to be doing, sort of leading up to Easter, so this Sunday, the next Sunday, and Palm Sunday, and then, of course, Easter, we're going to focus on, uh, of course, Christ, his his death, his resurrection, but sort of leading up to that, we're going to do this Easter series, and we're going to be looking at Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and particularly what we're going to be looking at are the three offices or roles of Jesus as the Messiah, and specifically those roles, those offices are those of prophet, priest, and king. So for each week, we're going to be looking at one of those. And today, we're going to be looking at Jesus and this role of prophet. And what we're going to see, of course, is that Jesus as the Messiah, when he comes to this earth, right, he carries out this role, this office of a prophet. And so a pretty good starting place before we even dive into all of our passages and we look at it and substantiate from Scripture that Jesus did, in fact, carry out this role of a prophet, uh, a good starting place is to ask the question, well, what is a prophet? Right? Sort of what is the definition of a prophet? What makes one a prophet? And sort of in the most basic or general sense, it's someone who is a spokesperson for God. That is sort of fundamental to the role of prophet, to serve as, in a sense, God's mouthpiece. Right? Just sort of think back to the Old Testament, to all of those prophets. You can think of those prophetic books in the Bible, right? And sort of what are they doing? They're serving as God's spokesperson, right? God has some sort of message that he wants to get across to his people. And often what he does is he raises up a prophet. He gives that message to the prophet. And what is the prophet to go and do? But, of course, to bring that message that God has given to him to the people uh, that God has called him to bring that message to, generally the people of God. Think of the Old Testament generally, the people of Israel. Now, there were times certainly that God sent prophets or, or had a prophetic word uh, for one of his prophets for some other nation around the people of Israel, but generally, of course, it was for the people of Israel. So generally speaking, okay, if we're thinking a prophet, what does a prophet do? Well, he sort of speaks the message that God has given to him. He speaks that to, to the people of God, right? He's God's spokesperson. But there are sort of two, uh, a little bit more specific ways in which this role of God's spokesperson or role of prophet can be carried out. If we sort of think of the prophets within the Bible, right, think of the Old Testament, all of those different prophets, there's sort of two different categories of prophets, both of which involve being a spokesperson for God, but just in a sense in different ways. And one of them, this is probably the one that would come to mind a little more quickly if you were just sort of thinking of, oh, prophets in the Bible. Uh, The first one is that of covenant lawsuit messenger. That's sort of a technical name. You could certainly jot that down in your notes if you'd like. But I'll sort of describe what that is to serve as a covenant lawsuit messenger. Uh, This is, if you think of typically the prophetic books, right, minor prophets, major prophets in the Bible, guys like Isaiah, this is sort of what they are, this covenant lawsuit messenger. And, And what they do is, right, recognize that God has established a covenant with his people. And what happens, right, is time and time and time again, think of sort of the life and history of of Israel, is they sort of rebel against the Lord. They don't keep the covenant. They're not faithful to it, but rather they break God's commands. They're evil. They do evil in his sight. And so God basically says, hey, we have a covenant. You've broken covenant with me. Well, what am I going to do? I'm basically going to bring a lawsuit against you. And that's what he does. He sort of brings an indictment, a lawsuit against God's people. And so he does 
what? He raises up a prophet to go and sort of bring that lawsuit against his people. And so these prophets, in a sense, serve as lawyers, prosecuting attorneys, bringing a case against God's people, saying basically, hey, you entered into a covenant with God, with, with God, you're God's people, you entered into a covenant with him, this is how you were supposed to live, but you've broken all of these commands, you've done evil in the Lord's sight, and then typically what you'd expect is, right, here are the punishments, the consequences that God's going to bring upon you. Of course, as you see in the prophets, there's always this sort of glimmer of hope of, you you know, but God will preserve a remnant. He'll still be gracious and so forth. But sort of plain and simply, they sort of, these prophets, these covenant lawsuit messengers, they really bring God's case against his people when his people transgress his commands. So they serve as God's spokesperson, but in sort of a very specific way. And we're going to see that Jesus, in fact, does carry out this role of, of prophet, not just in the general sense, but this specific role, and we'll talk about it, of covenant lawsuit messenger. But there is another type of prophet and it is a covenant mediator prophet. Uh, you probably see this less frequently in Scripture. And if you were to think of one, I'll sort of explain what it means. Probably the, the one that would come to mind first would be that of Moses. And a covenant mediator prophet certainly still acts as a spokesperson for God. That's what makes him a prophet. But particularly operates as a spokesperson for God in a specific setting. And it's in the establishment of a covenant. So if you sort of think of Moses... Right, And there's the establishment of that covenant. Think of the old covenant made at Sinai. And the prophet, as God's spokesperson, sort of serves as the mediator, the go-between between God and his people that he's making a covenant with. And sort of in that spokesperson role operates as the mediator of the covenant. So you can think of Moses, that situation, right, uh, at Mount Sinai, the, the establishment of that covenant, the old covenant between God and the people of Israel. And he sort of served as this prophetic covenant mediator in that process. Uh, and so that's another way in which we see this sort of prophetic role operating. These sort of two different categories, one of covenant lawsuit messenger, but also of covenant mediator prophet as well. And Jesus, I, I said he, he uh, certainly carries out the covenant lawsuit messenger role of a prophet. But what we're going to see, and we'll dive into scripture that really shows this, he also carries out that role of being a covenant mediator prophet as well. And so let's, you know, dive into scripture now. We're really going to see this lived out, that Jesus, as the Messiah, as we look at his, his ministry, of course, we're going to see him carrying out the role of a prophet, and specifically these two nuanced roles of a prophet as they operate as, um, of course, God's spokesperson, that Jesus carries out both of these. And I know I initially planned to read the passage in Deuteronomy first, but I'm going to skip that one for now. I'll do it second, and I want to jump to the Matthew passage, Matthew 23, Verses 13 and 15. And this is going to be sort of showing this uh, covenant lawsuit messenger role, that role of a prophet. And we're going to see that Jesus does, in fact, uh, live this out. And before I read it, you may notice that, oh, it's Matthew chapter 23, and it's verses 13 and 15. And verse 13 goes straight to verse 15. And maybe you say, well, what happened to verse 14 in there? Uh, not that we need to know all of the nuances here, but just in case you happen to know that and sort of had a question, why is 14 missing here? Why don't we see it? Uh, the reason is that it was some sort of addition to the original scriptures uh, that happened sort of later on as you have scriptures being copied and copied and copied so many times, you know, if, if you think of the New Testament here from roughly 2,000 years ago-ish, 
till today. And every now and then you can have some sort of little error that might creep in. It's really minor. It's nuanced. Or every now and then you could have some sort of little insertion. And that's the case. At some point, some sort of scribe decided that he wanted to insert something. Maybe he intended it as a little notation on the side, but somehow then, as another person copied it, it worked its way into the text. But sort of verse 14, which in older older translations, I think it might be there in the King James Version. If you have some old King James translation, you might actually see a verse 14. Uh, so some older ones actually had it. But uh, scholars today, and they're right, the, the evidence, uh, sort of textually speaking, is overwhelming that it really doesn't belong, that verse 14 is some sort of uh, insertion after the fact. It's not part of the original scriptures. And so pretty much any translation that you would have now today is, is not going to include verse 14, and rightly so. And so your text will go straight from verse 13 to verse 15, as the original Gospel of Matthew did. Uh, but so that's just a little, a little bit there. It's not that it's super relevant to what we're talking about now. But in case you noticed that, I wanted to address that issue. Uh, but so Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 and 15. And I'll read it for us. Uh, Jesus speaking here, of course. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Right, sort of to put put it simply, and you could find passages like this all over the place where Jesus is really letting the, the religious leaders have it, in a sense. The Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, you know, all of them, where he sort of lets them have it and, and, and calls them out on their evil. But sort of to, to sum up what's going on here is basically Jesus is acting as that covenant lawsuit messenger, saying basically, hey, you're God's covenant people. You're, you're called to live a certain way. And especially, hey, you as the leaders, the religious leaders, there are expectations upon you to faithfully lead the people of God, but hey, you're not. You're not being faithful to to God's covenant. You're not being faithful to his commands. You're leading people astray. You're preventing them from entering into the kingdom, right? And and he's not just declaring his own words, but as Jesus himself says in scripture, that basically all that he says is from the Father, right? So he's sort of serving here as, as a mouthpiece, a spokesperson for the Father saying, hey, the Father knows that you have done evil. You have transgressed his law, his commands. You've done evil in his sight. And woe to you. It is not going to go well for you, you Pharisees, you teachers of the law. There is punishment in store for you because you have done evil and rejected the Lord. Right? So he's, he's, this is very classic covenant lawsuit messenger saying, you've done evil in the sight of God and there are going to be consequences for the evil that you have done. Uh, and so that's sort of what's going on here. And, and again, we see this all over the place in scripture. Jesus sort of uh, calling out the religious leaders and, and speaking of the evil, the wickedness of their ways, even though they might seem legalistically to have their act together, the reality is, of course, their hearts are far from the Lord, um, and they are failing in their roles as shepherds to the flock of Israel. And so he calls them out, and of course, um, he's carrying out that role here of covenant lawsuit messenger, saying, you've done evil, you've broken covenant with God, and of course, there are consequences and judgment and punishments that'll be upon you. Woe to you. The wrath of God is coming upon you. Uh, so you could look all over the place. It, it's all over the Gospels. So I won't sort of belabor this point. We certainly see Jesus carrying out that covenant lawsuit messenger role. But I want to focus on the covenant mediator role because I'd say it's especially significant that he carries out this role as, as covenant mediator prophet. 
And so I'm going to back up to what was uh, going to be our first passage, but, but now we'll get there. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. In this, of course, it's the Old Testament. It's not going to be Jesus carrying out this role of covenant mediator prophet, but sort of sets the stage, in a sense, for Jesus carrying out that role of covenant mediator prophet. And I'll read it for us. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. I'll sort of set the context here, right? People of Israel, they're about to enter the promised land. Moses, his time's basically, you know, it's at an end. Joshua's going to be the one to take over. Uh, and so what is he, you know, before the people of Israel uh, enter the promised land, right, they, he sort of recaps the covenant in a sense. That's why it's even called Deuteronomy. Second law is literally what it means. Sort of a, a, a covering reiteration of the covenant uh, that, that God made with his people Israel at Sinai. So he's sort of reiterating it, going over it. And then, uh, of course, has some, some words for them as these are sort of parting words from Moses. And here's what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. I'd say, sir, there are two things that are going on here. One is just a statement that, hey, after Moses, you're sort of, you're going to die. You know, your, your time has come. Don't worry. You know, there'll be prophets like me that God will raise up generation after generation who will sort of guide and direct the people of Israel as God has a word that he wants to bring to his people. He'll make sure that there's a prophet there to bring that message to God's people. So that's, that's part of what he's saying. Uh, but it's also not just that a prophet or a sequence of prophets that is will be raised up like Moses. But there is also, and certainly Jews understood this uh, to be the case from early on and, and down through to the time of Jesus, that part of what's being said is not just that there will be a, a sequence of prophets who God, whom God will raise up to serve that role, but there will be a singular prophet, uh, a, a big, major, special, singular prophet who one day, way down the road, a big prophet like Moses was a major prophet, uh, a huge, big deal prophet, way down the road, God will raise him up and he will serve some very significant, important function as this prophet of God. And again, if we think of Moses and his role as prophet, centrally we think of that role of covenant mediator, that God used him as a mediator in the establishment of this covenant that was made at Sinai. And so what's being said here is this this prophet way down the road at some point whom God will raise up, this singular one prophet, not the sequence of prophets, but this singular one prophet God will raise up to serve in that role again, uh, to serve as a mediator in the establishment of a new covenant. And of course, this is Christ himself. And we see that, that the Jews understood this passage in this way in the sense that it wasn't just there would be lots of prophets generation after generation uh, that God would raise up to serve in, in that role as spokesperson for God. We see in Scripture, in the New Testament even, that they understood that there would be a special prophet, a singular prophet uh, that was being spoken of here who would come, who would be like Moses. And in fact, we see this in John, you can turn there, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Again, that's John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, and I'll read it. 
It says, now this was John's testimony, John the Baptist, of course. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And again, notice it's not, are you a prophet? In fact, if the question were, are you a prophet? Then John's answer would be, yeah, I'm a prophet, one of many prophets. Uh, but it, rather, it is, are you the prophet? And even if you look at the Greek grammatically, that's very clearly what it is, not just in the English. Are you the prophet? This singular prophet that the Jews understood from this passage in Deuteronomy was to come. This great prophet like Moses, who would one day come and serve some sort of great role as a prophet. So they're saying, are you that guy? Are you that one prophet who was spoken of, who was to come? And he says, right, says he answered, no. Even though he was a prophet, he was not the prophet. Now you might look at this here and realize that, well, the Jews here, they, they don't equate the Messiah with the prophet. That doesn't mean that some maybe could have, others may not, and maybe not. But here it seems like they think of the prophet as someone different and distinct from the Messiah. It turns out, of course, that they're one and the same person, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is also the prophet spoken of here in Deuteronomy, prophesied about way long ago. But the point is that I'm making here is the Jews understood that there was this singular prophet who was to come, and of course Christ fulfills that. He is indeed that person. Just sort of to finish off the passage here, it says, Finally, it said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, In the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. But again, sort of zeroing in on, on, on this statement of the prophet, right? What we realize is that this is part of the role that, that Jesus himself carries out, that he is not just the covenant lawsuit messenger prophet. He does carry out that role, but he is also the covenant mediator prophet as well, carries out that role just as Moses did. And in fact, way long ago, Moses himself said that one day this great prophet would come. In fact, a prophet immeasurably greater than he himself was, that God would ultimately send this one great prophet who would be a prophet just as Moses was in that covenant mediator role who would be used by God in, to serve in a sense as a mediator in the establishment of a new covenant. And certainly as we think of Christ as a mediator in establishing the new covenant, certainly he serves a mediating role in a priestly way, and we'll certainly talk about that role and, and we'll talk about that uh, next week in regard to his, his mediatorial role as great high priest making atonement for sin, but he also serves a mediating role as a prophet sort of in the establishment of, of the covenant as well. And that's sort of what we're focusing on uh, here now. And we see this if we turn to the Gospel of Luke, our next passage. This is Luke chapter 22, and it's verse 20. And this is Jesus speaking here. It's, it's really Jesus uh, instituting the Lord's Supper. And in a sense, what we really see here, if we think about it, is Jesus, he's, he's not just instituting the Lord's Supper. That is indeed what he's doing, uh, instituting this ordinance the church is to carry out you know, for the duration of its existence, of course. But part of what he's doing is also, in a sense, ratifying a new covenant. He's sort of doing it ahead of time, right? Typically, you think of the establishment of the covenant, and right at the end, you sort of formalize it. Think of today, you know, you'd sign your name and date it at the bottom of, of the paper. That's sort of what's going on here. But he does it, in a sense, ahead of time, because 
in his actually sealing an establishment of the new covenant, well, he gives his life, so he's not immediately after doing that when he's dead going to ratify it by carrying out some sort of ratification process. But in the ancient Near East, one of the ways of sort of sealing, making official a covenant was through a meal. You actually celebrated a meal with the other person, so you were making some sort of covenant agreement with someone else, and you would sort of seal the deal by having a meal together. And I would say that's part of what is going on here. Jesus is sort of sealing the deal, ratifying this new covenant that ultimately is in him, in his blood. Uh, And so that's what's going on here. Let me read the passage for us. It's, It's Luke chapter 22, verse 20, and it says, In the same way... After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right? Jesus here, you know, I could give the whole passage here as he institutes uh, the Lord's Supper, but I sort of focused on this one as it speaks of the new covenant, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And of course, as, as he establishes this new covenant, part of his mediating role is that of great high priest making atonement for sin. But in this sense, he's sort of serving in the role of a covenant mediator prophet, sort of carrying out that role as God's spokesperson, sort of establishing a covenant between God and man and basically saying, here I am through this covenant ratification process that that often is a meal, and that's the case here. He is sort of establishing this new covenant that he's really formally, truly going to establish, of course, the next day as he offers up his life on the cross to make atonement for sin. But very clearly here, that's what he's doing. That's the role he's carrying out as that of covenant mediator prophet. He's serving as that mediator in the establishment of this new covenant that, of course, is in his blood, in his priestly mediatorial work as well. And I want to read for us uh, one more passage. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And here it talks about Christ as the mediator of a new covenant. Uh, Certainly the focus here, before I read, I'll sort of give the context. The the focus here is certainly on Christ's mediatorial role uh, in a priestly way. But I would say that the author of Hebrews here has in mind that in every way, in every sense, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Certainly in a central way through his, his priestly role of making atonement for sin, but also in a sense the way that Moses was the mediator of the old covenant in the same way as that covenant mediator prophet, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, sort of a prophetic and priestly mediator of a new covenant. And so here's what it says, Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Right, and I'm zeroing in here on Christ, the fact that it says Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Right, Not just the priestly role, that's a big part of it, and we'll talk about that next week, but also as this covenant mediator prophet, he serves as the mediator of a new covenant. Right, And we see this, we see this prophetic role of Christ, again, sort of, in a sense, recapping, and then I want to talk about application, but uh, carrying out the role of a prophet, the spokesperson for God the Father, really in, in every sense, in, in both nuanced senses of the covenant lawsuit messenger, but I'd say even more significantly as the covenant mediator prophet, serving as the mediator in the establishment of a new covenant, right? But now we might ask, okay, sort of what's, what would naturally be our takeaway here? I always like to give an application. I don't want to just sort of give teaching and then we just sort of leave here with head knowledge, but, but in no way change, right? I always want us to have something sort of as a takeaway. And so we might say, well, yeah, so, okay, Pastor Steve, now we understand sort of the role of Jesus as the Messiah, particularly here his, his uh, prophetic role, but sort of what does that mean for me? What's my takeaway? And I'd give us a, a couple application points. 
Uh, and one of them is for those of us who've trusted in Christ, right? We are now members of this new covenant community. Right? And what I want for us is to really celebrate the prophetic, also the priestly mediatorial role, but we'll sort of get there next week, but to celebrate this mediatorial work of Christ, that he is the covenant mediator prophet, that through him there was ushered in this new covenant, immeasurably greater than the old covenant, the old covenant that in no way brought about forgiveness and salvation, but rather just confirmed our sinfulness and wretchedness, but rather he was the mediator of this wondrous, glorious new covenant, and now we, through faith in Christ, through his atoning work on the cross, we're now members of that covenant, members of that new covenant community, and just to take the time to to celebrate that fact, that we are members of that covenant community, uh, of course. We are members of Christ. We belong to him, that we have life in him, eternal life in him, and indeed that now we have been brought together and we have fellowship with one another, that we are part of the family of faith, and just to to celebrate this new covenant that, that Christ mediated and celebrate the fact that we indeed are part of it. But maybe there's some here who would say, I'm not, I'm not part of that covenant community. I haven't yet taken that step to put my faith, put my trust in Christ. Well, I'd say then for you, the, the application is to go and do that, to, to recognize the work that Christ did, that high priestly mediatorial work, but also understanding that he carried out that prophetic mediatorial work as well. Have faith in him. Give your life to him. Come to that point of repentance and faith, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and enter in to that new covenant community. Receive forgiveness, receive salvation, receive everlasting life, and then join us in celebrating that life that we have in Christ. But I want to give another application point, and it's this. Again, if we think of the the role of of prophet in the most general sense, it's to be a spokesperson for God, right? To, To receive some sort of message or word from God, and then that prophet is called to go and proclaim that message to whomever God calls him to proclaim that message to. And what we realize is, I'm not saying that we're prophets, we're not like Isaiah or Jeremiah or you name that person, right? We're not, we're not prophets like that. But God still has made us spokespersons for him in some way. He has given us a message that, from him that we are to proclaim to the world, and it is the message of the gospel. It is the good news that's all about Christ. And so we sort of do in some sense share in that prophetic role that we have been made spokespersons for God. We have been given a message and we've been called to proclaim it to the whole world. And I want to challenge us to really live that out faithfully, to recognize the importance of that role that we have been called to, to be that spokesperson for God, to everywhere we go, bring that message of the gospel, bring the message of Christ and what he has done for us and really take that seriously and challenge us to faithfully live that out ultimately for God for the growth of his church the growth of his kingdom for his glory amen and let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for coming to this earth for being our Christ our Messiah and as we think of the role of prophet. We know you served as priest and king as well, but today focusing on your role as prophet, we thank you for being that wondrous, glorious prophet, certainly serving as a covenant lawsuit messenger, bringing an indictment against those who had transgressed God's covenant, who had done evil in his sight, but even more significantly being that covenant mediator prophet and being that mediator in the establishment of a new covenant, a wondrous, glorious covenant in your blood. And Lord, we thank you for that role of yours, for that new covenant 
that we have a share in. We thank you for the life that we have in you, the eternal life we have in you. And Lord, as we think of the fact that we've been given a message, it doesn't mean that we're prophets in reality, but we too have been made spokespersons for you. We've been given a message, and we've been called to proclaim it everywhere we go. And give us a faithfulness in doing that. Give us just a a heart and a passion for the truth of the gospel. That we just sort of, as we think of the gospel, it just brings such a smile to our face. It warms our hearts, and we, in a sense, just can't even contain the joy we have that everywhere we go, we're just shouting the message of the truth from the rooftops at the top of our lungs, Lord. And we're just wanting the whole world to know all about you. Lord, may that be us. May we have that heart attitude and serve you faithfully as spokespeople for you, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.